This is not just a sermon, neither is it just a teaching. You're about to hear a message from God that will empower and equip you and cause you to excel in life here on earth and in eternity in heaven. Get ready for a transformation by the word of God. While standing, let's take our text this morning from John chapter 8. From 31 to 38. The book of John chapter 8 from 31 to 38. John chapter 8, 31 to 38. I read. Then Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him. If you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. They answered him. We be Abraham's seed, and we are never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, you shall be made free? Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committed sin is the servant of sin. And the servant abided not in the house forever, but the son abided forever. If the son therefore shall make you free, you are free Indeed, the topic of my message this morning is free at last. You may be seated. Free at last. We have we had a fantastic time at the Total Women's uh, Total Women's Conference, and you have heard in brief what happened. The theme of that meeting was taken from Zephaniah chapter 3, talking about the dancing of God with his children, with his daughters. And as we bring that conference to a close, God placed in my heart a topic that has no gender sensitivity, a topic that is not just meant for male or female, but for every one of us, including babies. Jesus speaking to his disciples, rather to the Jews, and I love what the Bible says, the Jews that believed on him. The Jews that believed on him. So maybe in our time, we can actually say or connect with believers, yourself, myself, disciples. And Jesus introduces a, a topic of freedom, a topic of fear, a topic of bondage. And he said to them, the servant does not abide forever in the house, but a son does. If therefore the son has set you free, you are free indeed. And I begin to wonder uh, in my heart, why should Jesus speak to his disciples about freedom? Why should Jesus talk to the Jews that believe in his, in his name about freedom? Why should Jesus speak to somebody today about freedom? Freedom from something. Freedom from fear, freedom from addiction, freedom from sickness, freedom from oppression, freedom from affliction, freedom from sorrow. I am here to announce, perhaps I came here for one individual, that there is somebody that must be free at last. I want to announce it again, there is somebody that after today, your song shall be free at last. I don't know how many years you have been a captive and you are the Jew that has believed in his name. You are a disciple. You understand God. It's not that you are a hidden. 
It's not that you don't understand God. You have encountered God. You know who God is. Yet, you are caged. Yet, you are in bondage. Yet, there is something that terrorizes you. And God is declaring to you that that thing has been there for 20 years, terrorizing you, harassing you, intimidating you. It has been there for 20 years, 10 years, 5 years, 30 years, 1 year. But there is an announcement. And that announcement says, you will sing a new song. I say, you shall sing a new song. And that song shall be, I am free at last. If you are that individual, may the Lord honor his word in your life. Freedom is the highest honor God accords to his people. Freedom is the highest honor that God accords to his, to his people. It doesn't matter how much you have. Can you imagine if you are a millionaire but in jail? Think about it. You are a millionaire but you are in jail. You have all the estates but you are in jail. You are a professor of physics or mathematics. You are a serious top medical officer, but in jail. You, you, you are a career man. You are a minister of God, but in jail. You cannot express your career. You cannot express your gift. You cannot express your talents. You cannot express what God has put inside of you when you are a captive. And I can tell you that there are so many of us today that we look so glamorous we look so okay, and in the outside, people even desire to be like you. People look at you and say, I wish I'm so-and-so, but right inside of you, you are a captive of fear. Today, you shall be free. Freedom is for sons and daughters and not for servants. So I've said, number one, freedom is the highest honor God accords to his people. Number two, freedom... It's not a privilege, it's a right. It's not a privilege, it's a right for sons and daughters. I, I don't think your biological children will walk up to you and say, Dad, thank you for the privilege I have to talk to you. Your child cannot come to you and say, Sir, thank you for the privilege that you've given me to eat with you. It's not a privilege, it's a right. The greatest honor and the joy I enjoy as a wife is liberty in, my, in our home. I don't calculate my mouth and do mathematics like calculator before I talk to my husband. I speak with wisdom, but I speak with freedom. I can see him passing and I say, ah, oh boy, this time you look good. Oh. Ah, you are just taking care of yourself. God will judge you. I mean, as a matter of fact, one day he was with one of his friends, Pastor Adeoye, outside. And I came where they were, they were, they were just chatting. I don't know what they were chatting outside. I came and I tapped my husband at the back. I tapped him and I said, ah, oh boy, how now? You there, I passed. Later he told me that the man asked him, it appears you actually married your friend. The man said, it's like two of you are friends. My husband said, yes. And he said, you married a friend. I just spoke and passed. When I arrive in our house, I have so much freedom. I start making noise from airport. <laughs> I scream at home. 
as a matter of fact, when I'm not at home, it's like a burial ground. Until one of our sons told me, Mom, when you are not at home, it is like we are in the dark. Because everywhere is quiet. Nobody is talking. But I thank God that day when he was talking, he said, I have taken after you. I can actually warm up the, the house. I told him, go ahead and warm the house. Because when I enter into the house, noise has entered. I have so much liberty. Liberty is not a privilege for a child of God. It's your right. And that's why there is no justification to be a child of God and remain in bondage. No theology can endorse that. No theology can convince me that I am born again, I am a child of God, but I'm a captive at the same time. So, there are many areas of our lives where we are not experiencing our rights in God. But I want to narrow to one. I want to just narrow to one today. And that is freedom from fear. I am not talking about other, other bondages today. I want to bring you to a particular bondage. And that bondage controls every other thing in our lives. And that is fear. And when I talk about fear, somebody may ask, fear about what? There are three areas that we fear so much. Number one. We fear the past. We fear our past. Number two, we fear the present. Number three, we fear tomorrow. We fear the past. We fear the present. And we fear tomorrow. No wonder Jesus is called in the scripture and in RCCG the same yesterday. Today and forever. Because of it, he handles yesterday. Because of it, he handles today. And I can guarantee you, what and where you will be in the next 50 years is settled. And is for your good. Fear not. God wants to set somebody free today from the fear of your past. God wants to set somebody free from the fear of the present. And God wants to deliver you completely from the fear of tomorrow. There is a way your past speaks into your present. And there is a way your past speaks into your future. And if not dealt with urgently, this has the power to influence and to change your tomorrow negatively. There is a way yesterday's experience controls today. There is a way what I encountered five years ago can manipulate my tomorrow. There is a way what I had that happened to my mother 10 years ago can actually bury me before I literally die. There is a way the fears of failures that is a pattern in our family can actually control me and I begin to be worried about 10 years to come while I'm still in the now. Fear. Is a torment. If you look at 1 John chapter 4 verse 18. 1 John chapter 4 verse 18. I will read it from, three, uh, from two versions of the scripture. King James first. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casted out fear. Because fear has torment. 
He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Now, when we talk about fear, what do we mean that fear has torment? Torment means, what does it mean to, what does torment mean? You know it. Torment means severe, not ordinary, severe physical or mental suffering. It's another degree, severe physical or mental suffering. And we have the synonyms for torment. One of them is agony. Another one is suffering. Another one is torture. Another one is pain. Another one is anguish. Another one is misery. Another one is distress. Another one is affliction, trauma, wretchedness, woe and more. Can you see the sicknesses that one word fear brings upon us? One word fear brings agony, suffering, torture, pain, anguish, misery, distress, affliction, trauma, wretchedness, woe, and more. No medical science can cure fear. When you allow fear to possess you, it does not show on MRI. It does not show on x-ray machine. I've never seen anybody who went to the hospital and when they brought your result, they said, we've diagnosed you with fear. But you will see the effects and the byproducts of fear. And so you are given some medication to have some quietness. It calms you down. You are given some medication to sleep. You sleep and say, I can feel good with this medication. But the root of the problem has not been solved. And today, in the next few minutes, God will uproot every spirit of fear. Fear is a spirit. Fear is not an emotion. Fear is not an experience. Fear is not how I feel. Fear is a personality, but spiritual personality. And the earlier we handle that personality, the better. In Message Bible, let's look at how Message Bible puts it. The same First John chapter 4, I will read from 17 to 18. He said, God is love. When we talk, take up permanent residence in a life of love, we live in God and God lives in us. This way, love has the run of the house, becomes at home and mature in us so that we are free of worry on judgment day. Our standing in the world is identical with Christ. There is no room in love for fear. Well-informed love banishes fear. Since fear is crippling. I want you to watch it. Fear is crippling. A fearful life. Fear of death. Fear of judgment. Is one not yet fully formed in love. Some time ago. I think it was in 1990. I was living somewhere in Nigeria, in Lagos, called Ketu. Nigerians, we know. We are Ketu is. And uh, one night, we were sleeping. And suddenly, I don't know, I got up from my sleep. And I saw a something standing like a personality. I was so scared that I began to bind. I said, Satan, you are a liar. 
Get out of this house. I bind you. I take authority. I kept praying and screaming, and I was with a friend of mine, an engineer, a former Okonkwo. Today, they are missionaries in South Africa for so donkey years with the husband. We were sleeping on the same bed. I got up. I was screaming, get out of this house. Get out of this house. Informer jumped out and said, what's going on here? I said, I don't know what has entered here. She said, let's first put on the light. She said, let's first put on the light. Ladies and gentlemen, we put on the light. It was my cloth, my dress. <laughs> Many prayers that we render in the Pentecostal circuit is a prayer out of fear. And that is why when it's time to deal with the devil, everybody wakes up. And our voices are so loud. Oh, rebuke the devil. Everybody, fire, fire. When you say pray for the kingdom of God, the voices go down. You know what it tells you? Your prayer is not made in faith. It is a prayer made out of fear. And the enemy understands that strategy. So he keeps giving us job to fight the devil every day at the expense of other things that we are supposed to be doing that are more valuable in the kingdom. Some of the things you are fighting are your shadows. Some of the things you are actually fighting and binding are your clothes. And that's why I'm here today to declare every imagination that has kept you captive, there shall be deliverance. Matthew chapter 10 from 27 to 31. Matthew chapter 10, 27 to 21. What I tell you in darkness, that speak you in the light. And what you hear in the ear, that preach you upon the housetops. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. But rather fear him, which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And not two sparrows sold for a farthing. And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye therefore, fear ye not therefore, ye of more value than many sparrows. I want the Bible, I want the scripture to become real to somebody this morning. Every hair on our heads are numbered. When you go to the barber and the barber babs you, you see all the hairs on the ground and they remove. God knows each. And he's saying, not one shall drop or can drop without his permission over your life. Believe it that not one thing shall be lost or removed from your life without God's permission. Why does God compare us with the sparrows? God wants to tell us that he values us a lot. And he's saying, one of the reasons why you must not fear is that you must understand your worth in God. You must understand the value he attaches to you. If you look at Matthew chapter 6 from verse 25. Matthew chapter 6 from verse 25. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life. Why are you worried? What you shall eat? What you shall drink? Nor yet for your body. What you shall put on. 
Is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather unto bams. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto your stature? And why take you thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, how they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet, I say unto you, that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you? O ye of little faith, therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you are in need of all these things. But seek you for the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Verse 34. Take therefore no thought for tomorrow. That means don't bother so much about tomorrow. For tomorrow shall take care for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. You have enough challenges for today. Jesus assures us, and he's not in any way downplaying the act of diligence. He's not in any way saying we should go and sleep and let him pay the bills. He's not saying, you know what? You can actually do nothing. Don't go to school. Don't work. I will take care of you. No, 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 no. That's not what he's saying. But he is saying, you need to trust me enough. You need to trust me enough to understand that I am able to take care of you. You need to, take, to trust me enough to know that your labors cannot be in vain. You need to trust me to understand that I have the ability to take care of tomorrow that is already giving you high blood pressure today. We worry about who to marry. And after we have married, we are worrying about this, whether this marriage will last. And as the marriage is lasting, we are worried about whether we will have children. By the time we have our children, we are worried about what they will become. And the more children you have, the more worries. So if you have six children, you worry more than the one with one child. But the one with one child is worrying more than you because if that one dies, then she's childless. Look at the gimmicks of life. Every day we wake up, the devil presents us with worries. Oh, I am married. Will I conceive? Will I have children? I have conceived. Will I deliver at the right time? I will deliver. I hope it will not be still bath. Every day, every moment, every season, we are captives. And remember that Jesus was speaking. Our text we read, he was speaking to the Jews that believed in him. And so he was actually addressing children of God. He was actually talking to people that are supposed to understand. Oh, my family has history of diabetes. And I am beginning to see that it is catching up with me. And I was told that one fellow died in that family some years ago. It is possible that the next in line is me. You worry. And the fellow that they told you that died, died some 70 years ago. 
And you remember the history more than the ones that died last week. Because the devil is showing you a symptom that sounds and looks like the story you were told about 70 years ago. Oh, in our family is cancer. This one has died of cancer. I think I am next in line. In our family, marriages don't last. I have heard that this one separated, this one divorced, this one broke down. It will be my turn. I want to bring you back to the place of covenant. And I want to declare to you, their fears shall not be your fear. I said, their fears shall not be your fears. Our weapon, I want to give you the weapon scripturally that fights fear. Fear is not fought by prayer. I already told you before how you pray, 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 pray out of fear. It is not about fearing. It's not about prayer. Yes, you can pray and pray. But there is a quiet weapon that silences fear. And that is what we see in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. When you receive my prescription today, you will live a life free from fear. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18 says, There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. Because fear has torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. So the weapon that casts out fear is not our shouting and doing deliverance and vigils. One weapon that casts out fear. I love the word. It says cast out fear. Meaning that it is a spirit that must be cast out. The weapon that casts out fear is perfect love. You cannot love and at the same time live in fear. It is not possible. Fear is a byproduct of guilt. Fear is a byproduct of lack of trust. Fear is a byproduct of faithlessness. Fear is a byproduct of anxiety. Perfect love is when my heart is pure. When I live in purity and I'm at rest with God and I'm at peace with people. When I am at rest with God and I'm at peace with people. Martin Luther said this. I love him. I read his book a lot. I watch documentaries about great men and women that have, that have delivered us from so many things. Martin Luther said, Martin Luther King Jr., he said, Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. And look at what he said. When they became free. Of course, he may not have lived to see all the freedom. But I quote him, he said, Free at last. Free at last. Thank God Almighty, we are free at last. And I want you to hear the voice of Gandhi of India. Gandhi said, an eye for an eye will only make the whole world blind. An eye for an eye will only make an entire family blind. Husband, an eye for an eye for your wife. Wife, an eye for an eye for your husband. Children, the same. Pastors, the same. Ministers, the same. The church, the same. The body of Christ, the same. An eye for an eye. You come into a family, everybody is blind. Why should we not live in fear? When we walk in darkness, we are all blind. So you begin to see fear where there is no perfect love. 
When you go to a ministry, a church where there is no perfect love, everybody suspects each other. And when we are association of suspects, God cannot move in the midst of his people. Even if we fast for 100 years, 100 days, things won't change. Fasting does not remove fear. I fast a lot. I believe in fasting. That's the way we live our lives. Fasting and prayer. But I have come to realize that there are things fasting may not handle quickly, but my love for people will solve the problem. When we are at peace, at rest with God, and we are at peace with people, you, may, you pray for five minutes. You get a result that somebody who has been praying for 20 hours have not gotten. Fear is a byproduct of guilt. Fear is a byproduct of lack of trust. Fear is a byproduct of faithlessness. Fear is a byproduct of anxiety. Perfect love is when my heart is pure. I repeat it. And I'm at rest with God. And I'm at peace with God's people. Today, somebody must let go bitterness. No matter how legitimate that bitterness is. It does not want your torture. It does not want your sorrow. Today, somebody must get rid of anger. Somebody must get rid of malice. Somebody must get rid of unforgiveness. In Mark chapter 4, 35 from 35, I read the last scripture, then I tell you a few stories. Mark chapter 4 from verse 35. I read, and the same day when the evening was come, Jesus said unto them, let's pass over to the other side. Of course, the meeting that we came back from yesterday, I believe that lives have passed on to the other side. Oh, there is no doubt about it. Careers have passed on to the other side. Professions have passed on to the other side. Ministries have passed on to the other side. Because whenever God wants to cross you to the other side, he brings a prophetic declaration. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships, not other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind. And the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and said unto him, Master, carest thou that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this? That even the wind and the sea obey him. I am here to let you know, as a church, as a families, as individuals, we are going to the other side. Whenever God is taking you through a transition, there will be things to intimidate you. Unfortunately, our response sometimes is to run back. Oh, this thing, no, you run back. Oh, this thing, no, you stay static. On the other side, there is something you're about to discover about this God. 
There is a destination that we are moving to. You can't get there without crossing the storm. You can't get there without crossing the river. Why are you afraid? The Bible said as they were inside the boat, the storm arose. Confusion came. Don't forget that those boys were professional fishermen. Imagine if they were afraid. What could have happened to somebody like me? I was told to go and learn how to swim because I love exercise. And sometimes I do and I hurt myself. I went and did some work. I hurt my, 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 the sole of my foot. And I changed. I went to step up, step down. I hurt my knee. And they told me, no, no, no. That step up, step down can actually hurt you in the time of old age. Don't do that. I went to cross trainer. Because I had issues with my shoulder, I had a problem. I asked myself, how do I survive with the kind of itinerary and schedule I keep without exercise? I said, it's not possible. What do I do? They recommended swimming. I said, swimming. Swimming. I said, God created the heavens and the earth. Put human beings on the earth. Put fishes in the, in the ocean. If I go to the water and I get drowned, what will I tell God? Somebody went and paid for me. Said, take her to Lyco Regency in Nairobi. Let her go and learn swimming. So last year, uh, I began to learn. Around June or, or May. 5 a.m., diligently, they will pick me from the house. So that I don't have an excuse why I don't go. So 5 a.m., they will take me. We will get there. I look at the water. They say, pastor, enter. I said, no. They said, you are the one preaching these things. <laughs> so, the first day, they taught me how to float. I went in. I was flowing. But I was looking at the deep side with my eyes. To be sure I don't get there. And I kept on doing this. I learned how to float. Then one day, I came for training. The coach said, today, pastor. Of course, they call me bishop in that uh, water place, not pastor. As I came, Bishop, we are going today to the deep side. I said, not me and you. I, thought, I said, I'm okay with floating. I am okay with, they said, no. Bishop, you are the one that preaches that with God. Oh. <laughs> Do you know, the first day they pushed me, you know, as a... Took me to the deep end. I looked at this thing. I remembered my children. I remembered my husband. I remembered the preaching ministry. I said, God, does this really worth this risk? Assuming anything happens. They told me nothing will happen. We are here. I looked. I wasn't seeing the down. I said, no. They said, we are here. Enter. Just enter. I don't know how many times I, I asked them, did you say I should enter? <laughs> After hearing, I will ask again, did you say I should enter? They say you had us before. We said enter. Do you know suddenly I summoned courage and I jumped in. Immediately I jumped, water took me up. I started floating. And I realized it was easier at the deep side than at the shallow side. And I started floating like a cycling. I, I, I I said, this one is, is much sweeter than the shallow end. 
By the time I came out from there, they've not seen me again. I told them, just wait, I'm coming. I don't have time, but I'm coming. But I learned a lesson. And I began to wonder, the disciples that we are with Jesus Christ, we are professional fishermen. But here they were afraid that if this boat breaks, if it goes haywire, our lives are in danger. What about you and I, those of us who cannot float, who cannot fish, who cannot swim? We grew up never seeing swimming pool or any stream. And the Lord says, enter. Enter. I am with you. Enter. I asked a question. There is a little girl that comes for that swimming. She is five years old. This girl is like a fish, a tilapia fish. Once we get there, she will jump in and she will start swimming. And she knew I was afraid, so she oppressed me because, <laughs> because once she enters there, she'll be looking at me, it's like, hey, see me, see me. So, so one day I asked the coach, why is it that I can't do what a child of five years? 5 a.m., this little child is here with her mother. Two of them are swimming, and at my age, 50-something years, I cannot swim. I asked the man, you know what he answered me? He said, the reason why the child can swim better than you, actually, not better, you, you can swim. Why the child, why the child dives in here is that she does not understand the risk. She doesn't even know she can drown. She is so confident. She knows the coach is here. My mother is here. Nothing will happen to me. She, they told me, your problem is the knowledge you have. That you can die here. And God told me, that is the problem I have with you, my children. You need to allow me to lead you. You need to trust me. You need to believe that I am able. That I am capable. Now, in that story, you will see that they said, Jesus arose and calmed the storm. But there were other little ships that Jesus was not in the boat. And I don't know what happened to them, whether they ever arrived at their destinations. The Bible does not waste words. It said on that sea, there were other little ships. So what matters is not the journey. What matters is not just the destination, but who is in the ship. In the ship of life, who is there with you? There were other little ships, but Jesus was absent. And the story of those ships ended there. But there was one ship that arrived at the final destination. The ship where Jesus was. In 1912, we had the story and the story and the history of Titanic. They built Titanic and they called it unsinkable ship. They called it unsinkable ship. And somebody had the audacity to make a statement that even God cannot sink this ship. In 1912, that God himself can't sink this ship because they had fortified it. They put a class in it. It was like no other ship. 
And so on the day of sailing, they were trying to cruise. It was a cruise, world cruise. The first class was filled with business tycoon, especially women. Women that had money, that had made money. They had the first class, they had the middle, they had the, uh, of course, where the common people were. And the ship was full. And inside the ship, they had passengers of 2,206. About that. By the time they entered, they ignored the warning that they were given that there was icing. The, the sea was icing. They did not listen because they were confident that this ship is unsinkable. Few minutes into their sailing, the tempest started. Problems started. That was when they knew that they named this ship unsinkable, but somebody was absent in the ship. They started calling for help, calling for help, and they were being sent lifeboats, live vests. They were sending them so many help. But inside this boat, or ship rather, was a man, a Baptist pastor by the name John Harper. John Harper was part of the people there and he was a widower. And he was traveling with their six-year-old daughter and his own sister. They all had their life vest on them. When the ship was sinking and they knew that we would be gone, John came out, removed his daughter, removed his sister. Rather than escape, he decided to save souls, sinners. Because he has been preaching in that boat, preaching in that boat, and asking them to receive Christ. And especially, he kept on screaming, Acts chapter 16, verse 31. Acts 16, verse 31. Acts 16, verse 31. Believe you on the name of the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved, you and your house. When that problem came, immediately, you know what he did? After he removed his child and he removed his sister, he began to scream under the ice water. He will be screaming to people, are you born again? Are you saved? Are you saved? Then suddenly he said, the life vest I have, is needed by a sinner more than I do. He removed his life vest. Gave to a certain man by the name George. He asked the man, are you saved? The man said no. He said, receive Jesus. Receive Jesus now. Receive Jesus. He asked the man the second time, are you saved? The man said no. He said, receive Jesus. Eventually, he didn't make it John Harper because he removed the life vest. And he gave it to somebody. And as he was speaking, many people were getting born again. Years later, George was speaking in a program. And he said that was the last convert of John Harper. The man he gave the life vest. As he gave the man the life vest, he said, receive Jesus. And suddenly the man gave his life to Jesus there. The man was rescued. But John Harper died in that place. When Bimbo was dying, Bimbo Dukoye, I heard the story because he, her PA survived. And the story was that when the, the plane caught fire and people were burning, she was busy asking people to confess, say, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus. She was in the thick flame. She knew my life is going. 
but the devil cannot have more than, more than he has bargained for. I am going, but I'm going to heaven with some people. There were many students in that plane, and he was telling them, Jesus is the way. Receive Jesus. Receive Jesus. And they were confessing their sins in the plane as they were burning in fire. They were confessing their sins, and Bimbo was leading them to Jesus, one after the other. And I don't know how many people they say that eventually got born again. According to the story of the PA, the PA survived it, but came out with a lot of bond. And so it was the, the PA saying, when my boss was dying, she was busy leading people to Jesus. Each time I think of this story, that a woman of God was going to eternal journey, and all she could think about was somebody must get saved. Somebody must receive Jesus. Each time I think of John Harper that took away his own life vest and know, knew very well, if I remove this vest and I give to George, I will drown in this river, in this ocean. But George is not yet saved. So he will have an opportunity to hear the gospel. He removed his vest, gave somebody that he may be saved. And that is the fellow that has told the story. And the book has been written about the last convert of John Harper. You are not under threat, but you can't preach the gospel. You are not in the flames. Boy, boy, ask yourself, God forbid, that if you were in that plane crash and you are seeing fire, will you think of saving souls or will you be thinking of your children and what you are leaving behind? If you are John Harper, for real, will you remove your life vest? You know that this thing will save me and I'm a widower and I need to take care of my six-year-old. You still remove the vest that one sinner may get saved. Ladies and gentlemen, so much has been paid for this gospel. The people that have gone ahead of us in our time, this happened in 1912, not in the time of Jesus. They have paid a great price. And we are going to stand before God with all of them. And we are going to answer to God about our lives. Do you know why we are busy worrying and we are not sleeping and we are binding the devil 24 hours? We have left the assignment. We have left the assignment. And so the devil has given us job. And say, for as long as you are not doing the father's business, we can play. And he knows that all the prayers we are praying, we are praying out of fear. So he knows. We need to refocus. We need a paradigm shift. Fear is cast out by perfect love. And he that does not love cannot be free. You can be free. You can be free. Doesn't matter how we speak in tongues. It doesn't matter what we do for God. Our hearts must be at rest with God. We must, uh, we must deliberately live a life of purity. And we must reach out for people to be at peace with them. I will never forget my experience in 1994. I think I've shared it when, you were, when I ministered in, in the parish on the other side. I can't remember. 1994, at hospital, Lagos, where I temporarily went into eternity on surgery bed. And I got up there. 
and I saw Jesus face to face. I saw him. I cannot describe for you what I saw. He is light himself. I saw him and I went on my knees. And I said, Jesus, my master, I couldn't even lift up my head. He said to me, you've done well, but you are not entering. I said, why? With all the jobs I've done, evangelism flows in my blood. That's what I live for. Winning souls, that is my priority in this life. Nothing else. And I said, with all the things I've done, Jesus said, in this place, we don't have space for people who have things against people. I said, who? He said, you have issues. And I began to say, give me a second chance. While I was there, brethren were praying that God restores my body back. Because it was in the process of a miscarriage. I had a miscarriage and the doctor forgot to remove placenta. So by the time I went home, I was blood was running like I would die the next minute. By the time I was taken and they were doing tests, what is wrong? Blood was, I was gone. Then they suddenly realized that placenta was inside. Now in the process of cleaning up to remove placenta, I passed out. And that was when now they were there. And let me tell you, while I was up there, I looked down. I saw my husband. He was devastated. I saw many people around him. But there was one woman I saw. That woman in our church, I've been having an issue with her. And every time she will be coming to my husband for prayer of deliverance. And I kept telling my husband, I don't like the moral standard of this lady. Some things happened. Eventually in that dream, I saw the woman telling him, take courage, I am here. I don't want to go into that story. But from, my husband can tell you, he has preached about it somewhere. From the day God returned me back to life was the day she left. Nobody knows her location. So while I was there, I looked, I saw her telling my husband, I'm here. Take courage. And I asked God, please give me a second chance. Just a second chance, oh Jesus. A second chance. Because... I saw I was missing eternal life with all that I've done. I said, a second chance. And he looked at me and said, I will give you. As soon as he said it, I sneezed at the theater. And everybody said, she's alive. She's alive. I opened my eyes. But I opened my eyes with a word in my, in my mouth. So my husband ran to the house to go and bring her. Because I thought that the second chance that Jesus gave me, was to come and amend and come back. My husband ran, brought the girl. As soon as the girl came, I said, I'm sorry, whatever I did to you, forgive me. Let me tell you, after I forgave that girl, I was afraid to sleep because I thought that every closing of eyes, I will be gone. That second chance from 1994, I'm still living on my second chance. And that's why you can't mess around me when it's my destination. When it's my destiny and my calling, I don't have any apology to anybody. Until you get to heaven and meet Jesus face to face. And you, are, you almost narrowly, narrowly missed heaven. And you were given a second chance. I am a second chance product. 
And that's why I live my life every day intentionally. Last year, God told me, you have to live intentionally. And I began to preach it everywhere. Everything I do, I do intentionally. If I greet you, it's intentional. If I eat, intentional. If I dress, it's intentional. Anything I do, I do because I am living on, living on a borrowed time. And I'm living a second chance. I don't know how many Christians that went there and they did not return. Because of bitterness. Because of anger. From a stepsister. From a spouse. With a pastor. With a fellow minister. With colleagues. Everywhere I go. I tell you. Perfect love. Is the answer to the hurting world. And that is the only solution for fear. I am here this morning to give somebody a life vest. I am here to give somebody a life vest. You are still not in the ship that is wrecking. There's something about your life. Something about your life is wrecking. And I'm here to drop for you the life vest. Why don't you like George did? Say, I am the last convert of Total Women Conference. I am the last convert. That meeting was closing and I escaped. There's a song that the choir will sing for us. And I'll be closing on that note with some. But I'm pleading with somebody. I'm pleading with somebody. I want to drop a life vest for somebody. Somebody must be rescued from the raging storm. Somebody must jump out of the sinking boat. Somebody has to come out of the sinking boat. There are little other ships around. You don't need to manage your life in other little ships. You don't need to manage your life in the ships that we do not know who is the captain. You don't need to embark your destiny, your journey to, des to your, de your, de your destiny in the hands of captains that we don't know who they are. We are going to sing this song. Those of you who are saved, you are born again. You are sure that you are, if Jesus comes today, you will make it. But something has caged you. You are afraid of yesterday. You are afraid of today. You are afraid of tomorrow. Hear ye my voice today. The master is saying, fear not. Fear not, you shall not sink. Because he's in the boat with you, you will not sink. Your health will not sink. Your career will not sink. Your family will not sink. Your tomorrow shall not sink. You will not bury your tomorrow today. But there are some of you that you know that the ship where you are, that ship you need to change. You need to move to another ship. And I want to drop you the life vest. The word is already working in you. We hope you were blessed by this message. For more messages and information about the church, please visit us at www.rccglivingspring.org.